Hello, hello, hello. Hum hai aurate dil se desi, a podcast for brown women by brown women. Welcome back to episode 8. From billboards to TV shows, Bollywood movies to celebrity races to size 0. Fair and lovely cream to growing up on a healthy diet of jiski bibi moti and gori gori mukhre mukhre pe kala kala chashma. You can't seem to get away from it. Body shaming is deeply ingrained in the South Asian culture. Home is supposed to be a safe haven for where children can be free to be who they are. Instead, in South Asian families, the body shaming and bullying starts in the home and continues into adulthood. The shaming is most pervasive for us South Asian women from puberty until marriage, when we are at our most vulnerable. We're just starting to learn about the world, and we're just starting to learn about our what it means to be a woman, um, our sexuality, our femininity, how we interact with the world, how the world interacts with us. We're almost bombarded with all of this overkill on what our body should look like. We grow up with our mothers looking at us through the lens of a matchmaker, sometimes sounding so critical that we're baffled by the absence of the ma of our childhood. Today's topic is body image. Amna, Sami, and I, and our guest speaker today, Arti, will be talking about our journeys from our childhood into adolescence and then into adulthood where our ideas of body image come from and how we individually respond to the body shaming that we experience. What's your first or a memory of body shaming or when you were made aware of your body being different? So just, and I'd been thinking about this and I actually remembered, I think at the age of like, I was probably five in Pakistan playing with like, you know, family members and stuff, kids. And one of my family members, she like started calling me Morta. And I was like, at the age of five, I'm like, I was obviously like in tears, went crying home. And my mom was like, why are you crying? And I'm like, cause she called me Morta. And she's like, so what? Call her Patla. And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you understand what I'm going through right now. Like just being, and she, it was more of a taunting way. And I think that's the first time I realized that like, there was something wrong with my body that wasn't acceptable. Um, And so experiencing that as a child, I think really like, I don't know, I think it sunk its teeth into me. Um, But I think that's probably my first memory I can think of, of, of being body shamed. So you're saying your first memory was when you were like around five years old. Yeah. That's harsh. Yeah. And it was another kid that did it. Right. Wow. And I don't have that many memories of Pakistan because after the age of five or six, we moved here. Mm-hmm. But that's like one memory that's been burned into my brain. And like to this day, I still think back to it and I can still remember how I felt. And so I think, yeah. It's just sometimes for us, like it starts really, really early really, really and it early. might not even be like someone at home. It's like someone outside that doesn't live with you. Mm. So. What um, about no- you? Yeah, I think um, around the same time, you know, I remember 
I definitely remember going to um, in Lahore. We lived in a older part of town and um, Tolinton Market. It's now a museum, but it was a market and going there with my mom and <laughs> the shopkeeper saying to mom, Mrs. So-and-so, who the kids take after? Because my mom was chubby and very fair and <laughs> we were all skinny and dark skinned. So probably around that age that you just got used to knowing that you're dark is as if that's that's a problem <laughs> and then you heard like my my grandma my daddy was um fair and my dad was dark so she uh, wanted to marry a, uh, you know my dad to marry a gori ladki uh, so that kids will be fair like her and none of us were my and my younger my sister who was two years younger to me was most fair of us all so that was like constant comparison that's what people do too they compare this one to this one and it doesn't help that like there's songs about it too right that like reinforce those same exact ideas you know, like that and like all those songs. You know, but I just told uh, Geet that I just remembered a song today and it's really making me mad because we sang this song all our life. It's a folk song and it's such a pat- patriarchal world. The song is Kala Shakala. Yeah. So a man can be darker than dark and he's glorified. What the fuck, man? And I'm just like, I love this song, but now I'm like dissing this song. I don't hey? even think I knew the, what the meaning of the song was, but I sang it at every shadi. I know. So, the, so, so for men, for a boy or a man, it's like, oh yeah, you're dark, but you're great. And Women sing it, and yet we don't realize that, huh? Maybe Kali Sardaru. <laughs> anyway, that's my story. <laughs> but I think you bring up a good point because your face is part of your body. Like that is just another part of you know the shaming that we get. Yeah, just a different part of it, right? Geet, what about you? Yar, mine doesn't. So the first time I remember is somewhere around post-puberty. Right after puberty, my body started changing a lot. So it went from, I was slimmer and, you know, a little bit taller. And then my cousins started catching up to me. So now my cousin's taller than me. Um, Taller than puberty, I just, I filled out a lot. Suddenly, it all happened very quickly. And then um, also because of the hormones and the changes in your body, you chunk up a bit. So I started to chunk up a bit. In retrospect, I mean, the way I've always seen myself, I was, I was being, star- I started, my uncle started calling me Morty and Tully. Tully is fat and Cindy. And um, those were my nicknames. Um, it started with my uncle, my mom and my dad. Then, of course, it extends to my entire family. 
who never for an instant made me feel any different than fat, right? Everybody's always talking about, and it's not just because they're outright calling you fat. It's also because they'll discuss diets in front of you constantly. They'll, they'll say, are you going to eat all that? Um, are you sure you want to order all of that? And there was a lot of that, which is almost like, I, I want to say under the radar um, toxicity, right? It's very, it's a very toxic environment where you're constantly in. So yeah, my first um, thing is probably somewhere around 11 or 12 to answer the question. And my experiences have been tough and it's a struggle every day. Arti? My memories come from my childhood. Um, I did start gaining weight pretty young. Um, so a lot of what I remember was from when I was a kid. I remember bullying in school. I remember, I, I grew up in Europe. I grew up in Spain uh, where everybody was like petite and very fair. So there was a point, um, this was a little bit, when, when I was a little bit older, I think I was a teenager by then. I actually thought of myself as an ugly duckling. And it was just like this thing where I felt out of place because of my color. We were the only Indian family in the town. And at the same time, I was the only obese girl around my friends. Um, so with that, there was a lot of bullying and thankfully my parents were supportive. They were protectors. They were very protective of me, um, which didn't help too, because they never stopped me in the eating and whatnot. Um, but I didn't get that much criticism from my parents. I did, however, get it from their friends, my uncles, my aunts. So it's more my extended family who, in my opinion, shouldn't even have had a, a, a call on it, but it was more from them and from just strangers that I didn't even know bullying like I said and and when I was older it happened in clubs and you know guys just looking at you and literally telling you like oh look at this fat girl you know speaking amongst them so for me the worst part was definitely bullying yeah I can sort of relate to the bullying too for sure in school Amna you're gonna say something yeah well I I want to say that I know that but for me it wasn't just a color it was also the way like I was the skinniest child and my mom's obsession with me eating and forcing me to eat and in class around you know I had late puberty so I was 14 when I had my period so in eighth grade and seventh grade eighth grade there were girls who used to make me make fun of me because I used to read books all the time and I think I was reading a series that said Lars and Dauge which means uh, zombies of that came alive and there was a girl I still remember her name that she used to make fun of me and she used to sing songs and dance when we used to call me a zombie so I was always also made yeah. fun of because I was too thin now you want me to feel bad for you for being too t- thin as someone who struggles with being too fat sorry I'm not not happening <laughs> I mean, that's why I was like, okay, maybe I'll just talk about color. But dudes, there is a, such a thing as that I was always made fun of because I was too thin. Jesus. I'm not going to feel bad for you, Amna. It's not happening. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm putting it out there. And also, that sucks as a kid to like hear anything that just makes you feel bad about who you are and your body. Like you live with your body 24 seven and someone else makes you feel bad about it. That's, you know, and Arthi, like you speaking about bullying too. I mean, I think 
I'm like thinking about our like sort of going to our next question of like where did we get these ideas of body images from you know and the people that are telling us these things or bullying us or saying things to us where did they get those ideas from probably from the same places right I mean obviously it starts at home it starts at home yeah my first idea like I said earlier I guess I answered both questions in one but my first sense of self came from my family I recognize now that everybody's talking about it, I am also recognizing that, yes, I was bullied a lot for my weight, but I don't think that was the reason for the way until much later, probably as as an older, like a young teenager, like probably around 14, 15, when you start to look for romantic relationships, then you start to feel bullied by outside. I started to feel bullied by the outside world once I turned that age. But before that, I don't think, before 15, 16, it was even a thought in my head that the world thinks I'm some. The funny thing is that the world never called me fat up until <laughs> that age. Like until I was 14, 15, it was my, my whole family was calling me fat, but nobody outside was calling me fat. So maybe that maybe that's also a big issue um, that my, my family probably has communal, um, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. body dysmorphic syndrome but again I, i'm not i'm not gonna like i'm just thinking like we all have something i up think with all of family. us do no no yeah. all of us do i think all of our families have that because i mean we were also communally i think we have body dysmorphic totally. i think it it uh and, and i'll go back to which i've said that before too that it really stems from being a colony in south asia british broad a lot of this to us. I mean, we're a brown skin country. We're a skinny country and, you know, people. We're brown skin people. And to the other race, even the fairest of all don't look white to them. So well, this we're not was, skinny people because none of these women in this room were skinny. Except you all know. Right. <laughs> skinny people no we're not I know all right I feel, I feel terrible for having them you know tell that to that 10 year old kid who was made fun of by every single person around there because he was too skinny I, and I think beyond the British colonization I think there was already a class and a caste system in India across that whole area and even today like someone my friends in college would be like oh because you're dark and you know hum good and though we're from the north and so these things are still part of our culture is that actually a thing yeah Yeah. that's that's like there's a definitely colorism that happens in our countries too um but arthi i mean i wanted to ask you too like just living in Spain, being in a very different community, obviously you're still like trying to figure out your identity. And like, yeah. I think we all go through that even here. And I would love to know from you too, like, where do you feel like your your ideas of body image were? I mean, obviously in school too, and being around Spanish people. Right. So I actually lived um, in Gibraltar till I was 10. And there was a large Indian, pretty much Sindhi community in Gibraltar cousins, family were all there. Uh, So growing up, up until the age of 10, I was more brown, desi, whatever that I was 
in any other part of my life, right? So up until 10, I did have a lot of Indian people around me. And like the idea of body image, I think looking at my family, like I, I don't think that's where I got my idea from. I think it was after moving to Spain, whereas where I started seeing like typical European girls, you know, the way they are, they're super petite. Um, so me coming in from Gibraltar and started, so now no is around me, no Indian people around me whatsoever. Literally just, we're the only Indian family in town. Um, and yeah, my idea of body image came from the girls I went to school with, you know, like in, in, in middle school, in high school, that's where I got the idea from. And then like, obviously TV and whatnot. Um, and it was just a little bit tough too, because like, I, like I said, there was no Indian people around me. Um, and it was just hard because I just really felt like left out, you know. Um, and then coming here, the funny part is what you were just saying about feeling a little bit lost from coming from Spain. When I first came here, I didn't even realize that there was different castes, right? Like you were just bringing up about yeah. Pakistan or India. I didn't even know. So when I came here, they were like, oh, are you Gujarati? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I thought they were asking me about my last name. I'm like, no, that's not my last name. They're like, okay, but are you Gujarati? And I'm like, no, like I'm telling you, that's not my last name. So we spent like a few minutes like this for me to just realize that Punjabi, Gujarati, Marathi, whatever else were different, like, I guess, castes, right? Like for me, we They're were just- ethnic ethnicities. Ethnicities, right. So for me, it was just, we're all Indian. So I didn't even realize until I moved to America mm. that that was a thing. Okay. So it was pretty confusing for me. So I was definitely in that ABCD bucket. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Arti. Arti is the family is Mexican, by the way. That's what we call <laughs> it. <laughs> I like to think of myself as a Sp- the the family Spaniard. Yeah. This is true. You are the family Spaniard in America, yeah. at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Bollywood definitely influenced where I've got ideas for body images. Right? You see, like growing up, I was watching like Sri Devi and Madhuri and all these different actresses and stuff. Like, you know, you guys really... recognize that Sri Devi was called Thunder Thighs? Yeah. Sa- Sa- Sammy, do you know that Sri Devi and Rekha are dark skinned actresses? And right. They, got, they didn't really look got, like it, though. They got they had a lot of makeup on. <laughs> no, they got whitening treatments. Both of Sri them. Devi definitely got whitening treatments that were Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Whatever treatments Michael Jackson got is what Sri Devi got. Rekha did a little bit, but not as much. So she still looks slightly savly. But um, Sri Devi was also referred to as Thunder Threat, Thunder Thighs, straight through the <laughs> 80s. Every Stardust yeah. Filter magazine that you picked up called her Thunder Thighs. Meanwhile, I can't see where she was Thunder Thighs. Right. Yeah, maybe I'm blind. <laughs> right. I always thought she was skinny. So, like, yeah, I was, my, my perception is probably really like fucked up right now. <laughs> no, but uh, on the same token, in Bollywood, even around Rekha and Sri Devi's time, there was Smita Patel, there's Shabana Azmi, actresses who just never, you know, Shabana Azmi said that she, her dad used to say that being dusky is good. That's who we are, dusky. So um, there, yes, mainstream. I wish my dad said that. <laughs> my dad didn't care. My dad was uh, like not an everyday thing so it was really more comparison around me and then my mom's my mom directly didn't say that but it was more like um use this cream use that cream do 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 the something about your face and skin 
And I, I just think it's just too much. I mean, it's it's wrong. Yeah. Oh, I mean, even now we're we're talking about Sri Devi in like the 1980s being thunderthized. Has anybody noticed how Vidya Balan gets treated? Right. Yeah. Uh, actually, that's a really good point. Yeah. Vidya Balan still till date is like shamed for her weight. And I think she's right. phenomenal. Yeah. She's a fantastic she actress. She has such acting depth, but just because right. she's not your Karina Kapoor size Typical. zero. Right. Right. So she still gets treated like she doesn't get the kind of roles that these guys do. When have you seen Vidya Balan in a main lead? She pretty right. much carries a movie on her own shoulders. I do think that yes, society does that and but it's really comes from home. It's a mother's job to protect their children and it's a mother's job to really bring positivity in you. Like I've said before, that we're a culture of negative reinforcement. <laughs> Everything is wrong. Um, whereas a mother can, and, and you know, more educated mothers, they are trying to work with their children. But I also know younger women too, whose parents say, uh, have them hang from an object so they can get taller. That we're <laughs> short. What was your idea of body image before and what is it now? Okay, so my um, idea of body image before was obviously like as I grew up, I, I knew that I was gaining weight and being slim is what everybody was, right? I was that 1% of my classroom that was obese, like one person in the classroom. And, and as I grew up, I kept gaining weight and it got to a point where I started feeling as a failure, um, I think it was as I got older, I started dating. I had a couple of people that I dated. And, and after seeing one failed relationship after the other is when I realized that I, I kind of blamed it on my body image. I, I blamed it on being obese. And I decided initially to take action on that because I felt as a failure. And because I felt like the only way of being successful, which in my mind at that time, at that point was getting married, was to lose weight. So I couldn't find a person, right? And I and I ended up well after being in a relationship where that guy brought up to me that maybe the reason why I wasn't happy was because of my weight, and that maybe weight was the issue of me not being able to find someone, right? So that's the reason why I started losing weight, but it's not the so reason. Some guy told you that your weight was the issue. Why you right. weren't able to find somebody. That's what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Which is what pushed me to keep losing weight. I had already started. I've had two bariatric surgeries. So the first one was in 2013. And after I had the first one, I lost about 80 pounds of which I gained back 10, maybe mm-hmm. in a period of five years. Um, in 2019, I was dating someone 2018, I was dating someone and it didn't end well, we decided to go separate ways. And after him, I tried, I tried dating a lot. And every, every time I tried, it just it didn't go well. And at that point, he the, the guy that I dated the year before was the one to say, well, maybe it's your weight, or maybe, you know, and that's when in 2019, I decided to go back for a second bariatric surgery. Um, which is how I lost another 50, 50 or so pounds. And, and after that, after losing the second part of the weight, I realized now that 
that guy pushed me to this. Um, and I'm happy I did it today. Presently, I do it for myself and not to find a guy anymore. It is what initiated it. It is what made me push harder and go back for a second surgery and whatnot. Um, but now my perspective has changed. My, I, have a, I have a lead up question to that. You know, um, my exposure and experience has, has shown me that the South Asian community doesn't take lightly to cosmetic interventions, right? Mm. Um, Sammy, do you agree? Yeah. Like, I mean, we're not, we're it's not, not even like a topic of consideration or. I don't even I don't know. feel like it's yeah. not a topic of consideration. I almost feel like we look down upon it. No. And as a not. community, I feel like we, we say when people are doing things like Botox, I mean, it's, I'm not talking about when we're at that point. I'm talking about like as a community growing up, whenever I was hearing these kind of things, it was always in a negative connotation. Or she got liposuction. Jeez, what? You know, like that's the way I always remember hearing it. Am I, am yeah. I wrong? No. Yeah. So in Pakistan, it's the opposite. It's like a status symbol that you, if you're not, that like me, I, I, I've chosen. Yeah, but I, don't you think that that may, may be also reflected by the age group? Probably. Yeah. Age group of people. Like if they're, if you're in a group of women that are, let's say, 60 plus, right? For them, it may be a status symbol, but all the young people growing up to getting to that are, are talking about it like it's a bad thing. Like People are getting, uh, starting Botox in Pakistani community. People are starting Botox in their 30s. I was just somewhere and young bride, she's in her early 30s and she was like, I'm going to get, she's getting married and she's going to get a little Botox. So it is, maybe Pakistani community is, more into these things because yeah. that's what I I feel the pressure from on the other side get get something done get Botox done get this done get that done and get it's not cheap treatment. like all these no. treatments are not cheap right they're people who have the money and the means they're getting that done and people who have like actual situations like Arthi like for you I mean that was a tough thing to go through yeah. You know, and, and to be able to choose that as your option, I think choice should, you know, that should be the main thing is that like people should be able to choose how they want to deal with that. Um, and how they want to solve my question for Arthi was going to be is I, I know it's still quite early Arthi, but you've been on this journey for quite some time. So my question was actually directed to you. Like, have you faced any kind of blowback from the community saying, Hey, like, mm. why are you doing this? I have. I have had comments. I've had opinions. I've had people that haven't said it to my face, but I know exactly how they feel. However, I have a small circle that has been very supportive of family, friends, um, parents. You know, in the beginning, obviously, my parents' concern was never like, you know, it wasn't like a judgmental um, concern. It was more just like, you know, you're going to go through surgery one time again and again, you know, so... There has been some follow-up surgeries after bariatric surgery as well due to skin and other issues. But um, I've never had my immediate family give me bad, you know, like, like not be supportive, which is what has kept me going. Um, thankfully, my, my mom, which is one of the people I care about the most, you know, she has been really supportive. But yes, I have had like extended family and friends that have 
had their opinions and not not good ones. Like I've heard the way people talk about it. I don't know what it's like in India. I have no idea what they're doing in India. I haven't been to India in many, many years. We all have very individual journeys. I mean, three of us are all talking about um, struggling with weight our whole life. So like, and Artie, you took a very different journey. And that's why I felt like it was really important to have you on today's episode. Like, um, I will say um, it, it, it became, initially it was very, it was all about cosmetic and the way I looked and everything. But when I hit 20, I think my first surgery was when I was 27. And then when I hit 32, 33, maybe, I, I always wanted to be a mom. I, I still might want to be a mom. It's, 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 it's a little bit up in the air because after going through this transformation, I don't know that I want that big belly again. But I've always wanted to be a mom, right? And I always said to myself, I will never be that mom who is obese to the point that you're risking yourself and the children. I was morbidly obese. I weighed, my highest weight was 312 pounds. When I was over 300 pounds, I said to myself, I want to be a mom. And there's no way I'm going to be a mom with this weight. You know, like I'm not going to do that. So I think that was one of the reasons too. Like I, I knew I wanted to become healthy to then have kids one day, you know? So that was one of the things. And then just being healthier, you know, being able to like, like I wanted to be able to like ride a bicycle or do certain things. So although it was a lot of like I did it for cosmetic reasons too but it's it's health right like and and you realize that as you get older when I was 23 24 I would sit there and eat KFC and Taco Bell and I didn't care right now I think of every single thing that I put into my body and as you grow up you you realize what what's really important you know yeah yeah thank you for sharing Arthi yeah for sharing your journey Arthi it's fantastic great story and journey And then the end result is sexy as hell. (laughs) We're getting there. Sexy art thing. (laughs) Sexy art thing. It started by wanting to be a mom and not show if you want to be a mom. Right, right. And now the last thing I want to do is be a mom. I can tell you that. It's the last thing on my mind. Isn't that funny? It started off as a journey for a boy because a boy said something and now it's all about you. It started off with the thought of maybe you want to be a mom. And the last thing right now that you want to do is be a mom. So it's so funny, like what our motivations are. And then where we end up along the journey, what we're thinking. And then when we get at the end of it, how it changes. So yeah. And I also want to say, you know, how you brought up, this was your own desire to find partner, but it's imposed on us from the very beginning you hear, you're too dark. You're not going to get married. You're too fat. You're not going to get married. You're too skinny. You're too nerdy. And I want to go back in time and say to that young woman and say, you don't, you don't want to get married. Marriage is not even important. Like you're saying, you got to that conclusion at a younger age. And it's like you, you just, your desire, your ultimate goal is to find a partner and get married. And that's not, you have to find yourself. How, however you find yourself, like you found yourself and now you are applying your own ideas to yourself. And that's just, I want to have a time machine and go back. <laughs> no, that's that's a fantastic question and, and a fa- fantastic statement that you're bringing up actually. Arti, if you could look back at your 16, 17, 18 year old self and say something where you are standing today, what would you say? I've, I've done that thought a lot. I have, um, 
I, I get upset when I think of my 16, 17 year old self, right? And like, I get upset at my mom, unfortunately. And like, why didn't she make me, you know, make changes when I still had time? Um, unfortunately, I started gaining weight when I was just seven years old. Or, or I, I thought it was older. And then I looked at some pictures. I was like, nope, I was just seven. And I started becoming a little chubby girl. I was really, really tiny, petite, super adorable little girl when, when I was really young, three, four years old. And then I think at about seven, I started gaining weight. And at 17, I think I was already morbidly obese, 16, 17. So uh, if I could go back and, and realize that, you know, I would have saved myself four surgeries, um, a lot of money. One of the reasons why I left Europe to come to America was because I felt like I couldn't fit in. Um, I was too dark. I was too, not necessarily that dark, but like, yes, being Indian in, in Spain was not ideal. So my whole life turned around to lose weight. I've been losing weight and I've been on this journey for 12 years now. I just wish that I could tell my 16, 17 year old self to like, to have made better choices, you know? Um, unfortunately, it is what it is, you know, and I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I'm really happy now. So. Hmm. So your 16 year old self, I'm sorry, you changed your entire life around as a statement that you made. You would change your whole life around just to lose weight. Did, and I'm going now I'm playing devil's advocate. Did you change your whole life around to fit in or to lose weight? To fit the mold. To lose weight to be able to fit in. <laughs> so both. Yeah. See, that, that, that is very important. For me, that's a very yeah. important point to make to say, I changed my entire life around to fit into the mold, right? Mm -hmm. Because not all of us have done that. So that's important to highlight about you. If I could go back to my 16, 17, 18 year old self, I would definitely say the things that you're thinking about in the big picture don't matter. Stop it. Exactly. Yeah. In the big picture of things, these things don't matter. What does matter is your sense of self. Yes. And you are gorgeous mm -hmm. just the way you are. If right. I was 16, if I could talk to my 16-year-old self, those are the things I would say. <laughs> Sammy? I, I would invite you to say the same thing to me at 16. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I did say the same thing to you at 16. <laughs> yeah, totally. And like, just not giving a shit about what other people were saying like because all you heard was what are other people gonna say look at but, him here. right and then like hearing things like and it was like it felt like everything about me was always in relationship to somebody else it was never about me absolutely um, and I think Arthur, you brought up the point of like a boy making you feel a certain way I think you brought up a really great point because we sometimes think about ourselves like in relationship to somebody else and sort of from their side, we go like, we their eyes. To, yeah, like we want them to see us as beautiful human beings, but we sort of go, what's beautiful for them versus going, what's actually beautiful. beautiful. We are beautiful. Like, we are beautiful. you know, and, and the diversity of that beauty is what's beautiful as well. Um, but I totally get it because you always sort of go, I wonder what that guy's thinking about me. I wonder, I wonder if my stomach roll is showing. I wonder if my little like flabby arms are like, you know, swinging in the wind or something. I don't know. Like you think about stupid shit like that. Right. And, uh, but, yeah. but those are the things that are being pointed out to you as well. And so those are the things that are pointed out. Yes, they are. Right. Right. But see, like, that's, that's the funny thing. Like those people that we're talking about and what we're, what we're, what we're comparing is self-love. 
which is pure right. yeah. in its purest form yep. is nothing but self-acceptance, right? As who you are, come as I am. I am yeah. what I am. Right. And that yeah. is pure self-love. And if you look at love, those people that you're talking about, looking through those people's eyes, it doesn't matter who it is. That's not love because they're not accepting you for who you are in all of your glory, whatever that may be, size, shape, color, skinny, fat, glasses. I was, I was just, while Sammy, while you were talking, I was just, when you were saying that, you know, it's always like, you know, what was said to me? Hmm. I didn't understand. I was like, what is a dismiss? Like, what does that even mean? It sounded so fobby to me, right? <laughs> later on, <laughs> later on, I don't know Hindi Bollywood movie they refer to people with glasses as dismiss. What does that mean? Dismiss. Like, dismiss matab, dismiss kar do se. Like Farik. <laughs> because i got glasses like how is this my fault you know at first it was like the weight and the this and the that and you feel like you somehow control these things how do you control your eyesight actually people ask me my daughter got glasses very early on and then people would say what are you going to do about it I'm like, what am I going to do about it? <laughs> she needs her glasses. She cannot right. <laughs> buy her a pair of glasses. I mean, no, like, I mean we actually did positive. You know, that's what I love about this culture. There are books about that. So you read little books <laughs> and her dad wears glasses. And uh, it was like positive reinforcement there. But <laughs> random Joe Blows, you know, distant cousins would say, but I'm so sorry. too. I was just going to add the fact that you just reminded me that I had one more surgery. I had LASIK surgery as soon as I got to America too, because those glasses were definitely bothering the hell out of me. Yeah. yeah. See, so we all, we all do, we all do these things, right? Like, I don't know, man. I don't know where to, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know where we're supposed to draw the line. What's My right? personal thing has always been to concentrate on who I am inside and the fact that I feel good hmm. with whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And it's hard to learn that, right? Because you're trying to unlearn all the, all the bullshit on the other side too, which rubs up against you all the time because we're still watching Bollywood movies. We're still watching, you know, our parents and our family is still making comments. So it's like, you have to like filter that noise out and really go, you know what? It's about self-love. And it's like that combination of self-confidence and like self-acceptance which right, like right. together and making peace with that body too right like you wake up in it you sleep in it you poop in it you do all these things you eat but if you don't you know come to terms with how you are and who you are it's always going to be this constant like pressure in your mind of like oh I have to I have to be somebody I have to be this other person that all these other people like but I can't be myself yeah, and that's like know- that kills me 
Yeah. For for me, I think there were many turning points. Uh, I've always fought this. I've always wanted to be who I am. I say I've danced to my own tune. And as I got older, I did more and more of that. I feel like we have to be nice to our body. We just like have to be thankful to our body. I do think um, self-love is one of the hardest things to accomplish in life. And now I look at it today, I'm 36 years old now. So when I look at why I've been single all these years, right? I used to blame it on my weight, on this, on that. It was never any of that. It was just me not loving myself. And I think, and many people have told me this, right? People who are actually um, wise have told me like, listen, until you don't love yourself, nobody else is going to love you and you're not going to let anybody in either. But I will admit that self-love is, I still think there's so many people out there that don't have any self-love for themselves. And until you don't get to that point, nothing else is going to work out, you know, like whether it's weight loss, whether it's career, whether it's whatever family, you know, like if you, if you have some type of, of issue, anxiety, anything and that doesn't allow you to love yourself, it, it's, it's, you're just never going to get anywhere. Or the wise people are it's also important to be around people that are yes. not going to bring you down. Right. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Geith, I think you and I were sharing how our partners are really important to us and they're, they're really helpful in that way. You know, like the positive reinforcement Amna, that you were talking about, they're, they're the ones that are providing us that, with that because they may not have gone through the troubles and the challenges that we did. So it's really nice to have somebody who does give me that positive reinforcement because um, yeah. it feels good right and it, you kind of go yeah you know what I am comfortable in my body now because this other person that I like absolutely love is also comfortable seeing me in my body yeah but it's it just- could also be I think it's also maybe Sammy and maybe I know about Geet that yeah. you found those partners when you started loving yourself I was gonna say that <laughs> true yeah I was gonna say that. that's true because like just a little bit before I remember taking diet pills, like in the back of my friend's car, shaking because they're like, whatever that caffeine or like, I don't know, a million MGs of caffeine or something in it. And I like, that was the last time that I ever did anything like that, where I was, you know, putting some sort of like pill or trying to do something to like rapidly lose weight. I was on a path of self-love about five years before I met my partner. Mm. So for five years, I spent being single and just trying to learn, unlearn what I knew and reparent myself. Kind of going back to that conversation that we were having with Dejil in the last episode of parentification, whatever that word is. Yeah. Yeah. I reparented myself. I taught myself how to love myself. I then lost maybe 80, 100 pounds. I don't remember exactly, but I lost a ton of weight just taking. I started with that 10 minute walk, you know, because of the self-love. I think I was able to attract the proper partner because when I wasn't, it was always wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But I was not loving myself. I was yeah, always I, inadvertently attracted to the wrong type of person. <laughs> Everyone who would, who would push my insecurities into the right. black hole. Right. You know? Or push them into your face. <laughs> which, would, which would put me in the black hole. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not your thing. 
Yeah, I was going to say that also my career, my choice of profession has helped me too, because I'm a geriatrician. So you see, you meet older people and majority, I've never met anyone who said, I wish I had made more money. I wish I had gotten more education. But majority of the time you say, you hear them say, I wish I had taken more time for myself. I wish I had looked at myself. And then you meet people where there are very sick people, but their attitude towards their body is, you know, I'm thankful to my body. It's mm-hmm. those people who I, I'm still thankful to my body. It hurts, but I try to love it and say, you've carried me all these years. So attitude makes a difference. And self-love, mm-hmm. it's easier said than done, but that really comes from reflection and just saying self-love does not mean selfishness it's actually the opposite of that right so it's like wholeheartedly accepting everything about you yeah and being confident about it too yeah (laughs) and as authentic as you can be yeah with yourself Arthi, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lovely conversation. Thank you, ladies and Arthi, for sharing all of your journeys. Um, there's a really good book that I recently read. It's called The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. And I wanted to read something and leave you all with this. <clears throat> no matter how enlightened our ideas, none of us is immune to the social, political, and cultural indoctrinations of body shame. Racism, sexism, ableism, homo and transphobia, ageism, fatphobia are algorithms created by human struggle to make peace with the body. A radical self-love world is a world free from the systems of oppression that make it difficult and sometimes deadly to live in our bodies. Think of body shame like the layers of an onion. For decades in our own lives and for centuries in civilization, We have been taught to judge and shame our bodies and to consequently judge and shame others. Getting to our inherent state of radical self-love means peeling away those ancient toxic messages about bodies. It's like returning the world's ugliest shame sweater back to the store where it was purchased and coming out wearing nothing but a birthday suit of radical self-love. By refusing to accept body shame as some natural consequence of being in a body, we can stop apologizing for our bodies and erase the distance between ourselves and radical self-love. When we do that, we are instantly returned to the radically self-loving stars we always were. Talk about a transformative power. Wow. That was beautiful. (laughs) It's a great book. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Thank you for this discussion, ladies. Thank you, Arti. Thank you, Arthi. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Arthi. It was great having you. And that brings episode eight to an end. Please don't forget to rate us wherever you listen to us. If you'd like to share your story, please shoot us an email or tag us on Insta at 3Arthi. Thank you for tuning in. This is Geet signing off. <laughs>